Thursday night this week is if you have any desire whatsoever to um, get involved politically, uh, the, the easiest and best way to do that is become a delegate or a precinct leader, okay? Uh, we're going to have a training here Thursday night by a guy that that's what he does. And if you have any desire, and you say, I don't know if I can do that, but it sounds interesting, um, just show up and you don't have to make any commitment or anything. You can just not do it after that. But <clears throat> after, if you see that and you want to figure out what, what the commitment is, then they can walk you through that too. And basically, so Colorado, some people don't know this, but Colorado is a caucus state. And the, the, there's only four caucus states, I think, in the United States left today. And uh, when you are a delegate in a caucus state, you have a lot, you have a lot of power, a lot more power than in, in uh, states that are not caucus states, because the delegates are the ones who elect the, um, the person in, in a particular party, elect them to their primary. And so when I, when I was elected, I, I went before, in the assembly, I went before all the delegates, and I'd been calling delegates and talking to them, interacting with them, getting to know them. And when I went to the assembly, I got about 70% of the vote. There were two other people running against me, but they didn't, you have to get at least 30% of the delegate votes in the, um, uh, in the assembly to be put on the ballot for the primary. Because I got uh, 70%, the other two could not get on there, and so I was the only one running in the primary for the Republican Party. The delegates have a lot of power. They're the ones who do that. And so if you're at all interested in that, um, come Thursday night and you can explain the whole thing and how you do that and, and, um, and how you get elected. Here's the thing. If you have a desire at all to be a delegate, if you actually show up at the, t at the meeting, not Thursday night, but show up at the meeting when they're electing delegates, you'll be a delegate, almost guaranteed, and you'll be a precinct leader if you so desire because people don't show up to this stuff. We're a caucus state, but people don't show up. And so uh, very few people make a lot of big decisions. So that's Thursday night um, here at the church. <clears throat> a couple of things that I, that I saw with this uh, this week, some interesting things. Germany, um, who's supposed to be a free country, kind of like a republic, kind of like us, kind of like a democracy, uh, Germany has decided that the conservative party in Germany is um, uh, causing too many problems and changing elections and things like that. So Germany is now trying to, well, they've already been talking about it. They're going to put it before like the, the, the same as their Congress and Senate. They're going to put it before their Congress and Senate that um, the conservative party should be nullified and they will disband the conservative party. That's how you get rid of opposing uh, opinions, is you just do away with that whole party. And that, they're actually considering this or voting on this. So in, in, when I was in the Capitol this last session, they, get, they came to a point where the Democrats were breaking rules, doing all kinds of things, unconstitutional stuff, and they were stifling our vote. I've talked about that some, our, our voice. Well, I've got almost 100,000 people in my district that, that uh, I am their voice. And so I got up, and um, many of you have seen the, the speech that I gave, but I got up and talked about fascism. And one of the definitions, one of the three basic concepts of fascism is that you silence all opposing voices. That is fascism. You do not let other people speak. 
uh, that's what Germany is doing. And it kind of has a, uh, about an 80-year-ago um, uh, feel to it, doesn't it? Right? Just do away with the other party. Another thing that happened this week, the, a federal judge stopped Biden's abortion pill expansion, put a stay on it. That means abortion pills, the abortion pill is uh, responsible for the most abortions than any other procedure uh, in the United States. The, the abortion pill does that. And uh, Bill, uh, President Biden was trying to expand that. So, so, when I was in, so when I was in session this last session, I, I presented a bill that said that places like um, Planned Parenthood and stuff like that have to educate mothers that come in that want the ab abortion pill, educate them about the abortion pill reversal in case they change their mind. And many uh, women change their mind after the pill, after the first pill, because it hits them what they're doing. They're murdering their baby, and that, that hits them. And so they change their mind. And I try to put a bill that says they have to, they are obligated to educate. Because they lie to them and say, there's nothing you can do here. There is. There's procedures you can do. And, and over 70% of the time, the baby lives. Uh, and they shot that down. So then later in, in the session, the Democrats came with a bill that says, if you say, if somewhere like Life Network or something says that there is an alternative to the abortion pill, that is illegal because it's not true, it's false messaging, and uh, uh, Life Network can be shut down because of that. That was the option, which is, it's, 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 they're lying. They're lying. It, it, there is an option. Well, Biden was trying to take this now to federal level because a lot of the states are doing away with um, abortion pills or the making sure that the second part is known. So Biden tried to do this on a federal level and expand this, and a judge shut it down. This, the Supreme Court has already um, intimated that they will take this case and take it very quickly. Uh, if this, when this goes to the Supreme Court, if the Supreme Court, the Supreme Court could, could theoretically um, do away with abortion pills at that moment. Um, definitely any kind of block or ban against it. Uh, if that happens, guys, that is a major, major blow to the abortion industry. And, and it is an industry. It's an industry for baby parts. It's, uh, some people think it's just mothers that don't want their babies. It is not. It is an industry to harvest uh, parts from babies. And if, the, and if this goes to the Supreme Court and gets, uh, the ban gets um, uh, uh, pushed, I mean um, accepted, then this could be huge. So anytime you're thinking about it, pray about this. This, this, could, this could cripple the abortion industry at a lot of different levels. And then, and then the next step is we just keep pushing at state levels. We, we've already got some plans this year of what we're going to do about abortion um, at the state level, in the House, and in the ballot initiative, all kinds of things. And so be praying about this. We are doesn't seem like it sometimes because the media is so loud and obnoxious and liars that it doesn't seem like it. But guys, we're winning battles. We're winning major battles along the way. And so just continue to pray about this. Um, the last one, because you guys are so excited about this. The last one is, this is information that came out this week. So when I said this a month ago, I did not know this. Okay? But I told you this was happening. This is a, this is a me moment. Everybody acknowledges that I'm pretty smart about this stuff. Uh, 
the, the Biden administration is preparing. This comes from the uh, Gateway Pundit. The, I think the Epoch Times had an article about this too. But the Biden uh, administration is preparing to reinstate full COVID-19 lockdowns beginning with masking mandates for TSA and airport employees reportedly as early as mid-September. TSA, they're going to start with TSA. Why? Because that's a big controlling thing. It's a government institution. That's the main reason. They can't just blanket this out because I think, I hope, I hope, I believe that society will say, American society will say, no, not again. But they start with government employees that can't say not again. They don't have that, unless they quit. They can't do that. And so that's going to be as early as, uh, as potentially a month from now is uh, we're going to start seeing the lockdowns slowly coming. So, all right. Um, one more reminder. I'm starting the book of Ezekiel this Wednesday night. We're not going to go uh, line by line. We're going to kind of jump around uh, through some stuff. So, all right. Years ago, <clears throat> um, I, so I'm going to give you a, a code, just a few years background to kind of see what's going on here. And, uh, and it'll kind of give you some context, okay? So a day after I graduated high school, I left for boot camp in the Navy. Um, a few months later, I came to a uh, state college in the state of Texas, and, um, and I started taking classes. I didn't do real well. I, I, I got A's in all the athletic classes, and I failed all the rest. And so um, after that, I, God was really working me. I got saved during that time frame. I was really trying to figure out what God was saying to me. I'd been a Christian earlier in my life, but I'd really gotten away from God. I gave my heart back to the Lord at, at that time frame. Um, during that, I really began to ask God, okay, God, what do you want me to do? I, I knew what he wanted me to do, but I was hoping maybe he had changed his mind. And, um, and so I came to the realization that God had not changed his mind. He had still called me to ministry and to do basically what I'm doing now. And so... I uh, transferred to um, Bible school. Um, the, it's the school that eventually I finished my degree at. My kids went to, um, it's, Lynn and I sit on the, the alumni board there. And um, during that time frame, I'm really wanting to serve God now. I still didn't, I still didn't take many classes. I don't think I passed any more classes. Maybe one more if it was athletic. But uh, I, didn't, I, I didn't do good in the school side of it, but I really was beginning to really want to serve God, and I began to um, go to church. Lynn and I dated, and we, then we didn't, and then we did. But um, I, I really was pursuing God. I transferred to this Bible school, which she had already started going in the, the semester before, which was part of the reason I struggled transferring to that school, because all my friends were saying, you're going to marry Linda, and then I'm going to go, I'm going to follow her, four hours away to that, or three hours away to the Bible school, there's no way. And I fought it and fought it because it would look like I was following her. I wasn't following God. But I really was following God. In my defense, I really was. And, um, but a little bit following her too. So, so I get there and I'm trying to serve God. I'm doing all this. The next summer rolls around and there were some weird things that happened with the school. Some paperwork was done improperly and some things. And I lost my GI Bill. Um, there was, if you do something Ill, uh, incorrect or illegal, and there were some people that were trying to, to steal my GI Bill at the school. And uh, so I lose that. Well, that's a major, major part of the funding for my going to school. And uh, so now I don't know for sure what to do. I'm going to get a job and work for a semester or two, go back to school, work for a semester or two, that kind of thing, right? 
Um, the idea of getting all these kind of crazy loans, that wasn't near as popular back then, and I was never going to do that. I was never going to get so, that so far in debt, and so I'm thinking, what am I going to do? Then I get a phone call from a uh, pastor that's uh, my mom's cousin, and he says, hey, uh, you want to come be our youth pastor? And I said, no. And, um, and then he said, well, will you pray about it? And that is always the way God tricks me, <laughs> traps me, is I begin to pray about it. And so I really began to pray. Lynn and I were dating at this time. We're talking about it. We're praying about it. Really feel like this is what I'm supposed to do. So um, we got engaged real quick before I left. I want to make sure that was secure. And I got engaged, and I head to the other side of Texas, and I become the youth pastor of this church. And then uh, maybe four or five months later, Lynn and I get married, and she joins me there. Um, and and here's, here's what happened. This is, this is now where I'm going with this, is now I'm the youth pastor of a church. I've only been saved at that time about a year. I'm the youth pastor of a church. Now, I knew a lot of the Bible. I'd grown up in church. I was a Christian when I was a kid. I knew a lot of the Bible. I knew stuff like that. But I had never had like a regular youth pastor. I had some youth leaders over the years, and they were great at what they did. But I didn't know. Now, all of a sudden, I'm a, I'm a per person on staff at a church, and people are calling me Pastor Scott and expecting things from me like wisdom and intelligence and stuff like that. And I am really lacking in all those areas. And so... I mean, I was scared. I, I can't tell you. I, when I drove from East Texas to West Texas, it's about an eight-hour drive, and I jump in my Pinto and I head off, I, uh, I had a lot of just God time. I didn't have a radio. It didn't have air conditioning, so I just windows down talking to the Lord, and it would only go 65 miles an hour. After that, it'd start shaking so bad I couldn't see. So I'm in my Pinto for eight hours scared to death saying, God, I'm... I'm going to be a pastor, a youth pastor. How do I do this? I don't know what I'm doing. I literally don't know what I'm doing. I know you, God. And, and I didn't realize at the time that's all I really needed to know. Amen. But I, I didn't know how to set up a youth service. I'd never done that. I'd, I'd, I'd seen some things, but I didn't know. I didn't take any youth ministry classes that I remember. And if I did, I failed them. It doesn't matter. So I, I didn't know what I was doing. And I get to this church and uh, more than I can verbalize, I'm scared to death. Uh, Monday morning rolls around, and I'm going to be a youth pastor. So I, I was supposed to be at the church at 7 in the morning. pastor didn't get there until like 11 or 12, whenever he wanted to. And I'm being nice about that. Um, I got there 7 in the morning. I was the only one there for a long time. Now, this is a fairly large church. Um, and they were building a brand new building. They were in the process of building this. And, um, and I did not realize until later, in fact, until actually after we left the church, I didn't know that the pastor didn't want a youth pastor. He wanted a janitor. I mean, he didn't want anything. The board said, you have to hire a youth pastor. And so he fired the janitor and hired me, and I took over the janitor duties. And also building, and I was sheetrocking, doing all kinds, which I'd never done any of that either. But so I'm doing all this other stuff, and so I would get there early in the morning, seven o'clock in the morning, and I did I did two things, and to this day I still do one very strongly and, and one mostly. But the two things was this: I knew I didn't know anything, and I'd read in James. So I'm going to read it for you here in a little bit that I could have wisdom if if I asked for it. <laughs> 
And so I began to pray, God, I don't know what I'm doing. I need, I need your wisdom. I literally don't know what I'm doing. I don't know how to have a youth service. I don't know how to talk to people about you. I don't, I don't know how to do any of this stuff. I don't know how to put a message together for teenagers. I didn't know anything. So every day for the first hour, 7 to 8 o'clock, I would just get on my face before God and begin to pray, God, I need you. I need your spirit. I need to be filled with the spirit. I, I would pray in the spirit for a long time, just pray in the spirit. I would, um, and I would ask for wisdom constantly, constantly, constantly. God, give me wisdom. Give me wisdom beyond my 20 years. I was 20 years old. Give me wisdom. Help me understand. And uh, God gave me a bunch of things in the process. He gave me excitement. He gave me a burden for teenagers. It's gone away now, though. I have no burden for teenagers. <laughs> um, and, and then the second hour, I couldn't play the piano at that time. I could play around, but not really. In the second hour, I began to pray, God, teach me how to play the piano. And things, now I didn't know you could go get books that help you do that. <laughs> I was so stupid about stuff. So I would just sit down and I would play and I would sound things out and listen and do things and, and then just sit there for an hour and just pray, pray, worship, and play. And I would pick a song with like two chords and I would just play that and just sing and just enjoy God's presence. And I don't, I don't really remember like stuff changing, but eventually it changed and I play the piano. And those were the two things I did. And to this very day, I still do the very first one. All the time, every day, God, I need your wisdom. I don't want to try to do this by myself. I've done that at different, different phases and stretches of ministry over the last 33 years. I've, I've veered off into doing this Scots way, and it is never good. And I pray, God, give me wisdom when I'm talking to people. I, w I was 20 years old, and people were coming and saying, Pastor Scott, can, can we counsel with you? I'm like, I don't think it's a good idea, but okay. I, the only thing I got is probably going to ruin your life, but let's do this. And so the whole time they were talking to me, I would just sit and pray. God, I don't know what to tell them. I don't know. Married couples ask me for, for marriage advice. We, Lynn and I weren't married yet. I had never been married my whole 20 years. <laughs> and praying, God, I need your wisdom. I need understanding. What do I do? And then while I'm sitting there, God, God would show me. Now, I didn't understand it as much back then. Now I, I immediately recognize when the Holy Spirit's speaking to me. I immediately recognize when God is leading me and God is showing me things, giving me understanding and wisdom. But it's been 33 years of practicing and learning how the Holy Spirit operates and how he speaks to me personally. But at that time, I would just think, this is a good idea. And then I would say that to them, and they'd be like, that's a great idea. And then they would leave, and I'm like, I'm pretty smart. I didn't realize it was God, you know, answering my prayer that I was praying the whole time. So I would pray, God, please give me wisdom. Please give me wisdom. I still do today. Please give me wisdom. I didn't know how to do a youth service. I would pray, God, show me how to do youth service. In fact, the first youth service I ever had, there was one teenager in the whole church. Now, there was a very large church, but they had all older people and all younger people with kids. They should have hired a children's pastor, but they hired a youth pastor because that's what you did back in those days. This was not very far away from the first time of having youth pastors and things. Only really, really big churches had youth pastors in the 70s, 60s, 70s. And um, so they hire me, and I, I'm going to have a youth service. I don't know what to do. The one teenager in the church, he wouldn't come to youth. He did eventually. We became uh, good friends, and he came to youth, and he became one of my leaders, all that kind of stuff, but, and his older brother too. But um, one teenager, he didn't show up. I get ready for my first service, and, and I'm 
this is the way I think. If the service starts at 7 and there's no teenagers, I still start at 7. Right? And I just sit down and I have my three songs with two chords and I'm just going to town. Right? So I get ready and as I'm starting, I'm going to sit down at the piano and my cousin walks in. The pastor's son. He walks in. He's a couple years younger than me. Um, Maybe three years younger because he was still in high school. I was 20 years old. So he comes in, and he, and he says, so this is youth service? I was like, yeah. Um, I was excited. I mean, I was excited. He came in, and he sat down, and I said, man, we're going to have a time of worship. So I sat at the piano, and I did my songs. I'm worshiping. I'm praising God. I'm singing the best I got, and I'm, I'm in everything I've got. And uh, I'm so excited. God is moving in my spirit. And I turned around, and my cousin had left. He no longer wanted to be a part of the service. And so I preached my message to an empty room. I needed the practice anyway. And I did that for three or four weeks, and finally the one teenager shows up. Eleven months later, we left the church. I went to be a youth pastor of another church. It was a lot of problems. The pastor really, like I said, he didn't want a youth pastor. And there was so many problems, all this kind of stuff. Finally, um, I, God released me. I was begging God, please don't make me do this. and Because uh, it was bad. And I finally went to another church. When we left there, it was about 30 kids in the youth group, 11 months. And it was just because kids were getting saved. It wasn't from the kids in church. There weren't any. But we just started going out and telling people, going to school events, witnessing the kids. Back in those days, I could go to the school. I'd take um, pizzas and stuff and go to the school. When you show up with four or five pizzas, all teenagers will talk to you. And let God do something. To this day, guys, I still, God, I need your wisdom. If you come in and you're counseling with me, I'm praying the whole time. Lord, help me, help me speak what you want. I've got a lot more wisdom. I've got a lot more understanding, but I don't want to assume that what I've been thinking about this situation is what God is thinking. So I still pray constantly, God, show me what to say. Show me what to, to do. And, and I really believe from the core of my existence that if you will ask God for wisdom, He will give it to you, and it doesn't matter what setting. You can be working on computers. You you can be a a teacher. You can be a nurse. You can be working in a restaurant. And if you will ask the Lord to give you wisdom, you will have wisdom that other people don't have. You have understanding that other people don't have. You have knowledge that other people don't have. And it doesn't matter what your workplace is, what the home life is, or whatever. You need wisdom in every area of your life. And God says he'll give it to you. And he will. I can promise you that. He will give you wisdom and it will surprise you sometimes how, much, how you know something that you didn't know earlier. It's a supernatural thing. James chapter 1 verse 5. If you need wisdom, ask our generous God and he will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking. This was a mentality back in those days, and the closest I can come to today's uh, religious thought process is a, a very old-school Catholic mentality, that the priest knows everything and that the bishops and all them know everything, but you don't really know everything. Um, you're not supposed to know stuff. The, the priest will tell you. That was the same kind of thing in the Pharisees and Sadducees. They will tell you what you're supposed to know. You don't need to know it yourself. Okay? That's always been a trap that Satan uses to blind uh, Christians. You're supposed to get in the Word of God. And that's why he says he will not rebuke you for asking. I can't imagine that God will be upset because we ask him for, for a wisdom. But that was their context. Verse 6, 
But when you ask him, be sure that your faith is in God alone. Because this is so important. And this is where we miss it in the church today. Make sure your faith is in God alone. Do not waver for a person with divided loyalty is as unsettled as a wave of the sea that is blown and tossed by the wind. What this is, is if you are completely going after God and you're submitting yourself to God and you're surrendering yourself to God, when you ask him for wisdom, he will give wisdom from himself to you. But if you're not pursuing him, in other words, your reasons are wrong, you're not, it's not about God, it's not about him being glorified, it's somehow about you being important or you being wealthy or something else, God will not give you that wisdom. He will give you wisdom when you are with him in this and you are, your loyalty is with him. When you begin to divide that loyalty and all of a sudden it becomes something else. Now, we have so many things that we put in the category of, of what else is besides God. But th there's really only two options in life. You either are serving God or you're serving Satan. And there's not any, there's not any gray area where I've heard people say, well, I'm going to do my own thing. I'm going to serve myself. I'm going to be my own king. There's no such thing. You either are spiritually under God's authority or you are spiritually under Satan's authority. And Satan doesn't mind if you think that you're doing your own thing. He doesn't mind if you think you're just living your own life or, you, or you're uh, serving money or whatever. I'm not serving Satan. I'm serving money. Okay, Satan will let you believe whatever you want. But you are either under the authority of God or you are under the authority of Satan. And if, you are, if your loyalty is God, when you step underneath him, it's like, it's like a fountain. Let's say you've got um, a fountain of blue water over here and a fountain of orange water over here. If you step under this fountain, you're going to be blue. You're not going to be orange. You're going to be blue. If you step under this fountain, you're going to be orange. If your loyalty was, is with God, then he will liberally give you wisdom that comes from him. But if your loyalty is somewhere else, you're going to be getting your wisdom and understanding from there. Okay, I'll unpack that a little bit more. Such people should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. If, if you're divided and you're not serving God and you're not putting yourself under his authority, then don't expect God to be giving you the stuff for your life. He gives you stuff for your life because you're under his authority. Now, I do know that the providential hand of God, I've seen it in my own life when I wasn't serving God. God will still chase after you and still take care of you and still do things. But it's not in a, in a proactive sense from you. It's because he's just trying to keep you from ruining yourself. But if you're, if you're loyal to God and you're serving God and you're pursuing him, he will give you wisdom. If not, do not expect to receive anything from the Lord. That's some pretty strong language. Their loyalty, these, these people that are tossed around like the waves, their loyalty is divided between God and the world, and they are unstable in everything they do. Now, this is something that got me. <clears throat> this was one of the biggest revelations, I guess. I kind of was there, but it, it, I needed to take the last step. When I went into the Capitol this last session, the first, first part of the session, I'm listening to people get up and say things that is it's not even common sense. Okay? It's completely backwards, it's lies, it's manipulation, it's evil, it's dark, demonic, all kinds of stuff. And I'm sitting there listening, thinking to myself, I just 
don't believe these people believe what they're saying. They just don't believe what they're saying. There's no way it could be that common sense to everybody, but they can't see it, and they are actually arguing against common sense. And then, just because I, I sitting in the house, I, I'm praying in the house of the Capitol. I have one here, too. But sitting there, I pray, I read the Bible, I'm thinking about the next thing, I'm getting stuff up on the computer for the next debate or whatever the case is. And I'm just reading scripture, and it began to dawn on me through some scripture, and some like I just read, that these people do believe this. And the reason they believe it is because they're under the other fountain. And that's where their reality has come from, and that's where their truth is coming from. And this, to me, is one of the scariest things. For me, on a personal level, just me um, as a human that thinks, it is so scary to me that I could actually go so far into lies and darkness that I would actually believe something that's not true. And everyone else knows it's true. It's common sense to everybody, but I can't see it. That's scary to me. And I think all of us have done that on micro levels at different times in our life, right? Where we, we have to have a breakthrough to see something. But this is something I just didn't realize. They were so caught up in the evil and so caught up in the demonic that they actually believe. Because why? Satan is the father of lies. That's all Satan has got. It's lies. He has nothing else. So he lies, 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 lies. And eventually they begin to believe it to a point where they will get up and fight for it. That's a scary place to be. But, but how can that happen? If you're going to pray for wisdom and God's going to give it to you, how does that happen? Well, let's take one step back in the progression of how this works in our lives spiritually. In Psalms chapter 111, verse 10, fear of the Lord is the foundation of true wisdom. See, and now this is common sense. If you really just take systematic thinking here, if you're going to ask for wisdom from God, then at some level you believe that God is the source of that wisdom. Right? God, I need your wisdom. That's because God is the source of the wisdom. Well, at some level, if God is the source of the wisdom, then somewhere you have to submit yourself to God to a level that you're actually asking him for the wisdom. And not, not just uh, using words. Like you can say, God, give me wisdom, but you're not really wanting that. You're not really thinking about that. I'm saying at a really core level, you really recognize that God is the source of wisdom. So then what do you do? You submit yourself to that source of wisdom. If I really want truth, then I've got to submit myself to somewhere where truth is coming from so that I acknowledge that that's the source of the truth. Fear of the Lord, submitting yourself, surrendering yourself to the Lord is where wisdom starts because you are acknowledging that wisdom does not come from the world. I mean, there's some natural kind of wisdom you can get in just living life for a long time, but I'm talking real wisdom that goes beyond um, the natural ability of a human to have. That's a God thing. Well, it's because when we begin to fear God and truly understand that he's the king, that's where wisdom starts because now we've stepped underneath that fountain. We've stepped underneath where God is pouring out what he's doing. Okay? Um, <clears throat> the, the, the 
idea that somehow we're going to get this, this is one of the weird things that we do in the churches. We think, well, I can get the wisdom of God, but not really totally, really surrender to him, not really fear him. And here's another thing with fear. I've heard this. This has been popular the last 20 plus years is the word fear um, actually means uh, respect and that we are just giving uh, God adoration and respect. And that's true. Some of the time, the word fear is uh, originally in the Hebrew means respect. But sometimes the word fear, and you can look these up. These are different starting points in the Hebrew. Sometimes the word fear in Hebrew means being scared, shaking in your boots. Understand that God is way bigger than uh, you are. That, that kind of thinking that he holds the stars in the sky, right? And the stuff that God tells Job in the book of Job, where were you when I made the earth, the foundations of the earth? Well, God is the transcendent one. He is holy. He is majestic. And we are supposed to fear him on a fear level, but also respect him on a respect level. And then that should get us to the point where we love him on a complete relational level. But that doesn't take away the fact that God is still the judge. In the end time, when the, the great white throne of judgment it says every knee will bow and every tongue will confess, that doesn't mean that all those people standing there chose to bow before God. That the Pol Pots and the Hitlers and all those, they're not choosing to bow before God. They bow before God because he's holy. And he is so holy that it overwhelms our limited humanness. And we hit the earth. Boom. Or the floor in front of the throne. Because he's holy. That's fear. I fear the Lord. And fearing him and recognizing that you are not God and he is. You're not the king, but he is. When you recognize that, now wisdom can begin to come into your life. Because you've truly submitted yourself. Fear of the Lord is the foundation of true wisdom. And all who obey his commandments will grow in wisdom. Do what God says and you'll grow in wisdom. That's, that's so countercultural to today's uh, Christian, Christian culture. Just do what God says. Stop sinning. Stop doing the bad. Start doing the stuff he's told you. Uh, and you'll grow in wisdom. Just do what he says. There's reasons he tells us to do what he tells us to do. There's reasons. And sometimes if you don't totally understand them, that's okay. God still does understand them. If you don't think they're fair, that's okay. They are. Do what God tells you. And, and it's amazing how God brings that wisdom. Proverbs chapter 14. Verse 27, fear of the Lord is a life-giving fountain. Again, you've got this fountain. If you decide to, to, to be in that fountain, God will cover you. He will do a bunch of stuff. If you decide to step out of that fountain, everything else is Satan's fountain. Fear of the Lord is a life-giving fountain. It offers escape from the snares of death. The, the plans that I create and I make lead to death. The plans that God creates leads to life. And even as a Christian, I can make plans that are not going to help me know God better. They can, they can hurt me. And, I, and I'm thinking, well, I'm doing the right thing, right? Because I'm a Christian, so God's just already in control. No, you've got to pursue him. You've got to fear him. You've got to be under that fountain saying, God, what do you want me to do? The decisions that we make. I, I can't imagine making a decision, something like buying a house or buying a car or something like that. I can't imagine making that decision without talking to God about it. But that's not our culture. We, I'm saying in the church, that's not our culture. We just do what we want. And we, we just assume God's going to bless it and take care of it. 
Why is God obligated to bless what your decisions are? I mean, think about that. Why does God have to acknowledge and honor your decisions? Well, I'm a Christian. If you're, if you're a Christian, you're going to be pursuing his decisions, right? I, I can't imagine. I, I know people have done this. This is way outside my scope. But I can't imagine me going and um, Linda needs a new car, so I just go buy her a car. Pick it out, color, style, whatever, whatever. I just pick it all out. And then I show up at home and I say, hey, here's your new car. That would be a very bad year of my life. Because why? She has things she likes in a car, like a color of it and things like that. I can't imagine just showing up. But we, but we even do worse than that with God. We make all kinds of major big decisions, job changes, houses, all kinds of stuff. And we never ask God. But then we want God to bless it. We want God to, to honor the decision we made and everything there go well. God, why am I not getting the raises? Because your job's over there. Why am I not getting the promotions? Because your job's over there. You chose this. I didn't. You chose this, so you get your own raises. I, maybe God's not that mean about it, but, but you understand what I'm saying. We, we make all these decisions, live our lives, do all this stuff, and then when things go sour, we're like, God, where are you? Well, I'm over here where I've been trying to pull you to for 10 years. Go where I am. And it's amazing how he will bless us. Proverbs 15, verse 33, fear of the Lord teaches wisdom. Humility precedes honor. This is another big one in a specifically Western society. We like to be important. We like to be all that. And, and so we work toward it. We work toward being important. We, we want to be um, acknowledged and we want to be people... You know, we want power, all these different things. But if you're the one working toward those ends, and it's not God putting you there, then you may actually get what you desire, but it's not going to be God's plan for you. And that's a bad place to be. But if you'll just humble yourself before God and let him do what he wants. At your workplace, just humble yourself. Work hard, humble yourself. Let God promote you. Let God do that stuff. Don't wiggle in there. Don't try to make it happen. I mean, you can, and it might work. In fact, oftentimes it could work. But let God do it according to his time. Let him do what he wants. And it's amazing how God will honor you through your humility. God will honor you in ways you could never accomplish yourself. Never accomplish yourself. Humility precedes honor. Proverbs 8, verse 12. Now this whole, this whole chapter here in Proverbs, this couple of chapters, uh, Solomon is, is speaking as wisdom in first person. So he is taking the voice of wisdom and he's using it. So this is, this is a verse out of that. I, wisdom, live together with good judgment. Wisdom and good judgment go hand in hand. You ever just seen, and I, I'm going to overstate this, so don't take it too far, but you ever just seen somebody that just every decision they make seems to be wrong? Bad? Well, maybe dig down a little bit deeper and see what their motivation is. Try to, maybe try to help them. Have you ever humbled yourself before God? Have you ever decided one time, Lord, help my, help my judgment come from you? That's, 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 not, that's not how we think in today's society. Wisdom, I, wisdom, live together with good judgment. I know where to discover knowledge and discernment. 
knowledge being more of a uh, mental, rational thing and discernment being the same concept but from a spiritual point of view? How do I understand things and discern things? How do I just know things that other people don't seem to know? How do you just know, don't get involved with that business deal? Why? I don't know why, but I know I shouldn't. That's discernment. Anybody ever had something like that happen? Yeah. You know what that feels like. You know what that, that, that it's not just a mental thing. It's here somehow or wherever yours is. Some people say in their gut, but I, I got, that's pretty packed up. So my spirit's up here. <laughs> but I, I, I don't know how to explain it sometimes, but I know when I know the Holy Spirit is saying, don't do this or do this. Um, I, I give you examples all day long of that and you could too. All who fear the Lord will hate evil. This, this, is, this is one of the reasons that I, I know this sounds very judgmental. It sounds very um, divisive when I say this. But, but I really struggle with Christians that say that they're okay with abortion. When a Christian says they're pro-choice, like in the last presidential election, you had all the evangelicals, pro-choice evangelicals. I, I'm struggling with that. How can you say that you're a Christian, which means you're following Christ, you're covered with the blood of Jesus, you're saved and you belong to him, but you're okay with murdering his defenseless babies that he is breathing life into? How are you okay with that? I really struggle with the idea that someone can be a Christian and be pro-abortion. That's right. I don't, I don't get it. I don't understand it. All who fear the Lord will hate evil. Therefore, I hate pride and arrogance, which is interesting. I've got a message I'll speak in a few weeks. It has to do with how we define what is evil and how do we not define what is evil. And he's defining part of it right here. He said that this is evil. Therefore, I hate pride and arrogance. Pride and arrogance are evil. That's pretty plain right there. Two other things, corruption and perverse speech. Those things are evil. God wants us to hate evil. He wants us to hate that stuff. Proverbs 16, verse 16. How much better to get wisdom than gold? Now, there's, when I was younger, man, I did not agree with this sentence. I'm like, I don't need wisdom, but I need money. Right? You know what that proved? I had no wisdom. Right? Isn't that? When I, nowadays, I can tell you all day long, I would rather have God breathe his spirit into me and show me things than any dollar could ever produce. Any amount of money. God, show me. Show me your plan. Use me in the way that you want to use me. Whatever you want to do. Um, I, I also believe that the more we learn to submit, it's kind of humble precedes honor. I do believe that God will do things more with you financially sometimes when you're really just submitted to him. Because right. he can trust you. Just submit to him. It's amazing what he can accomplish. How much better to get wisdom than gold and good judgment than silver? I've got four things. Let me read these first three to you. Number one, we must see God as he truly is. He is righteous, holy, and just. He's also love, grace, and mercy. Amen. We need to see all that. We've got to understand that he is, that he is just. And that means there's going to be judgment and accountability for us someday. The second thing, we must learn to submit and serve God. Submit to and serve God. We've got to learn to do that. And it's not a one-time thing. It's not a decision that you make. 
And you say, okay, God, I'm going to serve you. And then the rest of your life, that's what you're doing. Um, even though you make a decision to serve him and the rest of your life, that's what you're doing, you still have to revisit certain areas of your life where you have to submit. You have to serve him over here, things that you didn't even know about, things that come up, and now you have to, you have to surrender that to God. Um, th things like kids, um, learning how to... We were talking about this. Thursday night we had the grillers prayer at my house, and some of the guys were talking about their kids and, and decisions that they made and things like that and how you have to pray for wisdom for this. How do you handle the things that kids can do to your soul? And, um, and I was listening. I was listening. I'm processing. And all of a sudden I started thinking, and I remembered a, a story, a thing that happened. And, and th this stuff is not in books. It's not like somebody comes to you and says, okay, when this happens... This is, the, this is what you do. Because I would never have guessed this would happen. Um, the boys, this is before Emily was born, and the boys were um, one and a half, two, three, right in that window. And uh, we were having uh, services. We were having uh, revival services at night, and, that, and the guy that was doing that was having morning services at the church also. And so we were going up there in the morning, and, and the kids are, the boys are little, so they're just playing outside. I mean, they're really little, and they're just playing outside. And I look back at one time, I'm sitting right here where Zach is sitting, and I look back toward the back door, and Linda's standing back there, and she's going, uh -oh. and I thought, did I do something? And at first I started, I thought, just ignore her, she'll go away. <laughs> that's, that's never a good idea. So, so finally, I, I get up, I go back there, I'm like, what is happening? And, and my boys are both sitting in the... Um, in the office, or maybe it was a bathroom, but I think they're both sitting in the office, and they're just, <laughs> you know, like the world was over, which I find, I find very engaging in my wife. When she disciplines my children, I've always found that engaging. Um, I appreciate that about her. And, and she had, man, she had tore them up. She had busted their rears, and and I'm like, what happened? I mean, this was severe. This wasn't like a little pat on the rear that she, she may have even abused him. I don't know for sure, but she, this was, this was horrible. And I asked her, I said, what's happening? And I, I know a little bit of this is a little muddy and exactly, this is 30 years ago, but, um, so she had, had found out that they had, um, they had been getting on this person's car out in the parking lot. And they were sliding down the hood, just like a slide, like a slippery slide, you know. Except after a while, they realized you can't slide that fast. You need something to help you slide. So they were taking a bunch of gravel from the parking lot and putting it all over the hood. And then they'd climb up there, and then they'd slide down, and then put more gravel up and slide down. Oh, yeah. So, and the people, somehow, we didn't talk to them right then or something, but... They were, they were on their way home, and the way they found out this happened, they didn't see the hood. The way they found this happened is they, they uh, started, gravel started coming up over the windshield. They turn on the wipers, and all this gravel goes over the windshield. So then they start looking at the hood, and it just destroyed the hood. Um, they came back to the church. We had to call the police because for their insurance to cover it, the, the, they had to get a police statement about this whole thing. So now, you know, I'm like, they're one and a half and through three. Do you, do you put handcuffs on them? What do you do here at this point? Do you put them in the police cruiser? Do I go downtown? What are we doing here? I don't know. I didn't have any wisdom for that kind of stuff. I didn't know what to do. 
I mean, I, my first thought was, this is the last day of their life on this earth. It's now over. God rest their souls. But, I, I mean, what do you do? We didn't have any money. We're having to pay their deductible, do all this stuff, and the police are involved. And, I, and, I, and I'm just like, and Lynn and I both, she was in tears the whole time. She was like, I don't, I don't even like these boys anymore. You know? <laughs> Here's the reality, parents. You're going to have those days. You are. And if somehow your children never did anything like that and they're grown now, be blessed because they just hid a lot of stuff from you. So that's how. <laughs> that's really what happened. We got two very pregnant women about to have babies. This is not what they want to hear. But you're gonna have, if you don't pray for wisdom regularly as a parent, you're going to make a whole lot of mistakes. You're going to make st- mistakes anyway. You're going to make a whole lot of them. If you, try to, if you try to run your own business without talking to God about it, you're going, to, you're going to ruin yourself in the process. Talk to God about this stuff. Get that wisdom. We must learn to submit and serve God. Number three, wisdom begins with this submission. As we submit, as we surrender, as we fear the Lord, God will begin to flood wisdom into our existence. And you will understand life more than you should because the wisdom of God, wisdom of God is the greatest thing. Amen. James chapter 3, verse 13. If you are wise and understand God's ways, prove it by living an honorable life. Doing good works with humility that comes from wisdom. These, this is common sense biblical stuff. Build your life on this stuff. But if you are bitterly jealous and there's selfish ambition in your heart, same scripture we read out of, of uh, Proverbs, and there is selfish ambition in your heart. Don't cover up the truth with boasting and lying. It, it, this is a simple one parents try to teach their children. Once you've been caught in a lie, don't, try, don't make it worse. Just fess up. Right? I'm telling you guys, just fess up. If you'll just do that, you will save yourself so many problems. Fess up. Just go, I did this, whatever. Such things are earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For whenever there is jealousy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and evil of every kind. But the wisdom from above is first of all pure. It is also peace-loving, gentle at all times, and willing to yield to others. You see the progression from fearing God to loving others and having peace? It is full of mercy and the fruit of good deeds. It shows no favoritism and is always sincere. And those who are peacemakers will plant seeds of peace and reap a harvest of righteousness. The fourth point is that we begin to be who God created us to be when we fear the Lord. Why don't you stand with me? I can be what God has designed me to be if I just start with fearing God. Just fear God. God, you're the king and I'm not. Let's pray. Lord, we submit to you right now. We take this moment and and intentionally from our own hearts, our own minds, our own lips, we say to you, God, we, we want to fear you. We want to submit to you. Lord, in every area of life that I'm not doing that, God, convict me. I want to submit to you. Lord, and I pray for me, I pray for everyone else in here. Bring us, bring us to some good biblical fearing you. 
that we fear you just because you're God. Not anything else. Just because you're God, I fear you. I respect you. I'm humbled by you. Lord, teach us. Every one of us, teach us right now. Just put it deep in our spirit that we can fear you. And what does that mean? God, if, if, there's, if there's people in this room right now that are, um, that are playing around the edges and, and allowing some junk to come in their life, God, grab onto their spirit right now and help them to, to, to spiritually sober up and fear you. God, we don't, have, we don't have the luxury of playing around here. Help us to fear you. In the name of Jesus. God, help us to honor you, to submit to you, to surrender to you. In Jesus' name. Father, and I pray that every one of us in here will make seeking after you and your wisdom a daily prayer, a daily process, seeking your wisdom. In Jesus' name. Let me ask you, I'm going to pray with you about this, but let me ask you. You know, this is you. You're saying, I, I really, I really need... I need some air, maybe specific areas, but Lord, I need to fear you again. I need to fear you. Just raise your hand real quick. I need to fear you. Yeah, you know where that is. You know where in your world and your life that is. Lord, I need to fear you. I need to fear you here. I need to fear you here. Parents, pray. God, help me to fear you as a, pre- as a parent. Don't take that for granted. Don't be casual about it. It's so easy it's to be casual. Life, life raising kids is a long time. Lord, you see our hands. You see our hearts. God, we need to fear you. Lord, I do pray that for parents. Give us a fresh, just a fresh understanding of how important it is to raise our children in you, not in ourselves, not in just our own way and understanding. Lord, let that that knowledge, discernment, and understanding come from fear of you. Then we make decisions about our children. It comes from seeking you. We make decisions about our life, our businesses, our workplaces. That it comes from you. That it comes from, from truly submitting and getting in that fountain that is you. Lord, give us wisdom. Every person in this room, give us wisdom. Give us wisdom. Lord, we are fighting some big fights in our country right now. We need some wisdom. We need some discernment. We need to fear you. Our country needs to fear you again. God, I don't know if that's possible anymore, but you know. God, I think from your perspective, it's always possible. So bring fear of the Lord back to our country. Bring it back into our families. Bring it back into our churches. That we fear you. Because you are the sovereign God above everything. You're the king. You're the ruler, the redeemer, the savior, Jesus. We submit to you. In Jesus' name we pray.
Amen. Before noon tomorrow, God's going to give you an opportunity to tell somebody that he loves them. It's not really that hard to tell somebody Jesus loves you or to tell somebody, hey, Jesus has really got a plan for your life. It's not as difficult as we make it. So do the best you can. God will honor that in your life. It's a guarantee. So shake somebody's hand. Tell them you're glad that they're here. And just so you know, many people from second service went to first service today. And it was nice and comfortable there. And now you have a little bit of breathing room. So some more of you can do the same. We will see you at the journey tonight at my house or we'll see you Wednesday night.